0: Here. Making some slight furniture adjustments here. And it sounds like I'm unmuted, so that's good. <clears throat> well, my name is Ben Alexander and friends with Pastor Steve. It's an honor to be here with you. I love working with, um, worshiping with, and serving with, uh, fellowshipping with other Christians. I think it's utterly vital that Christians work together, uh, especially here in the Wild West of California, Christians to fellowship and worship and uh, fight, fight, laugh, and feast uh, right alongside of each other um, is critical and vital for our mission uh, together. Thank you for the scripture reading there. Um, So open your Bibles if they're not already there to Psalm 130 and 131. And that is our text as has been read and as we are well prepared for um, now. Let's pray. Let's pray uh, together before we launch in on the feast of God's word. Let's pray. Father, Son, and Spirit, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts together be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. In Jesus' name, Amen. Restful waiting. Have you ever had to wait in a doctor's office before a rather unpleasant appointment? Or the dentist? Yuck! Have you had to wait a long time for something that you knew was not going to be fun? We fumble through magazines, never really settling on any particular article, because our attention could never make it through a two page article. We're nervous, getting cold a little clammy, fingers shaking a little. You find yourself staring at ads and pictures of things that you were never interested in until now. (laughs) The clock is going so slow that you swear it's broken. You keep checking your email every five seconds. But no, no exciting emails telling you of a free vacation package to Tahiti. Everyone is getting in to see the doctor ahead of you, it seems, and there you are. Waiting is hard. It's hard on a lot of things in life. We have to wait. Waiting on the Lord to see you through any number of challenging circumstances and hopes is tough. But with the right mindset... Its yield can be gold. What do Psalms 130 and 131 teach us about the fruitfulness of gospel rest? Well, let's move into the text. The Psalms, wide angle uh, to, uh, to narrow angle here. The Psalms as a whole is a great heritage, heritage and possession for the Christian life. In them, we see how a person of faith should feel. How should we feel? The Psalms show us. How should you mourn? We shouldn't be utterly lost in mourning. Mourning and grief itself make us mourn. And one of the primary markers of being in mourning is that we feel utterly lost in that place. But, brethren, the Psalms... Is, teaches us how to mourn. It's very helpful. It's a ballast in mourning. Uh, but what's more, the Psalms show us how to rejoice, how to be in the Spirit, and at the same time, how to protest in the Spirit, how to weep in the Spirit, how to complain, <laughs> yes, in the Spirit, to struggle, to hope, to be angry. In the spirit, the psalms show it all. In the trenches of life, in the mud and the blood and the pain. The psalms are a great gift to the church. Always has been and always will be. They are God's inspired songbook. No other songbook is inspired but this one. And there's not music. There's not musical notation, Which gives a a clue that there's a broad array of what it can look like um, in terms of musical expression. But it it is a songbook, and it was a songbook for the Hebrews of old. And it's a devotional. There are many groupings of Psalms. There are Psalms of thanksgiving, of which we know well. There are Psalms of petition, of which we know well. There's Psalms of praise, of which we know well. Uh, There's Psalms of rejoicing and triumph of which we know well and there's psalms of imprecation do you know what of you know what i'm referring to psalms of cursing there are psalms of cursing psalms of not cuss language i don't mean that but psalms of imprecation calling upon god to see see the murder see the injustice see the blood see the scandalous nature Of the ravages of sin, and to act, God act, God judge, God come down with a hammer, God come down in mercy, but come down with a hammer. You see it all. That 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 is a section of the Psalms. It's very important and very misunderstood, and and it's confusing for much of God's people. But it is an important place of maturity for a Christian to know how to pray those, to how to use them. They are in the Bible. They're ours. And they've always been the churches. And it does take some very careful understanding of these things through the lens of the new covenant, which is given to us to interpret um, the Psalms. Uh, Many great and wonderful books written um, on these things. One of them, one, just one of them, is a book called War Psalms of the Prince of Peace. War Psalms of the Prince of Peace, a very balanced, accurate, and biblical book about how a Christian in the New Covenant should use the Psalms of imprecation. And you see um, statements of imprecation used in the New Covenant as well. It's in the New Testament, not just in the Old Testament. But that is not our primary business and focus today. The Psalms uh, have all of these in them. But Psalms 120 through 134 are a grouping of psalms known as the songs, as was said in the reading just a minute ago, the songs of ascent, songs of ascents, a portion of the Psalter for Israel to sing or to chant in many cases in their ascent to worship. Uh, there was an ascent um, in Jerusalem to the temple, to the temple mount. So uh, psalms of chanting in preparation for their worship on the temple mount. That's this section. This particular section of the Ascent Psalms, 125 on, remind the worshiper of his need for mercy and complete dependence upon God. There are psalms about Zion, which is the place of uh, worship in the spirit that the New Covenant picks up on. Uh, priests in the sanctuary. Worship is the primary focus. But these psalms are about Hope. Hope. There is always abiding and living hope for the righteous. Take a look with me, uh, just in a brief little tour here of this section. The Song of Ascents, Psalm one twenty six. Uh, we we need to thank Ezra. We need to thank Nehemiah. We need to thank Haggai. The Second Temple period, returning from captivity in Babylon, and the promise of returning to the land through. Uh, god's appointed man cyrus and allowing them to return there's such a beautiful section here in verse uh, verses five and six those who sow in tears shall reap with joyful shouting he who goes to and fro weeping carrying his bag of seed shall indeed come again with a shout of joy bringing his sheaves with him beautiful poetic section And we we can think of our lives where um, in seasons of lowness and adversity and great trial, uh, still abiding in Jesus, practicing good works, practicing faith, the disciplines of faith in those seasons, knowing that all of our work is not in vain in the Lord. Um, But there will be vindication And that's where the joy is. That's where the the promise of return will come as we see that at the end of uh, that psalm. Or we might think of uh, Psalm one twenty seven one, the very next uh, verse there. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman keeps awake in vain. Probably a psalm that many of us are very familiar with. God builds the house. He and he alone is the stability of our how many times has the Lord taught my family this lesson? A very critical lesson during the times of suffering, because in suffering brings instability. And this is what's critical, is that even in those times, these psalms teach us that the stability is his character, his character, who God is, his faithfulness, his promises are our Stability because he is Lord. He is God. And now more particularly with uh, Psalm 130, it is an individual worshiper's lament. So there are psalms of lament, of confession, of contrition, of repentance. Psalms of lament. We see it uh, working here. Uh, Let's look at 1 and 2 again. Out of the depths... Have you ever felt like you've been in the depths? All of us go through that, uh, depths of the heart of a painful low time. Out, and This is where he is at. Out of the depths I have cried to you, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. The psalm is about waiting for God's redemption from sin, but also the long expectation of a breakthrough in any number of circumstances. It is confession. It is confession in this uh, this chapter. The word confess is not here, actually, technically, in the passage, but uh, it's a supplication upon the God of forgiveness while in pain. It's struggle and wrestling with God amidst sin and weakness, of which we all know, of which our lives are full. I love the Psalms because you can feel the Psalms. You can feel it. It's written in the way from feeling, from passion, from the heart. It's very authentic. Brothers and sisters, you need to read the Psalms, if you don't, and pray the Psalms even more in in prayer. You you pray them as your own. You pray them as your own. Um, That is the key thing about the Psalms. So as we go through this, pray this yourself, even this morning. Let's pray this um, and uh, make it our own to God. We can feel it. But a part of what I want to demonstrate in this is that this person, though in an uncomfortable place, in an uncomfortable place of waiting, uh, of lament, of confession, of, of uh, humility, this person is blessed. This person is blessed to be in this place. So I have three uh, primary points here, and I'll state them, and then I'll move through the text to demonstrate those, those three points And the word this morning is simple. It's simple. The clarity and simplicity of the Bible is invigorating. (laughs) The the clarity, again, and simplicity of the Bible is invigorating. It's encouraging and it's sufficient to lead a life of joy. That's good news. In your waiting, brothers and sisters, God wants you to rest. In your waiting, God wants you to to rest, not fret. Do not waste your life in fretting. You get one shot. Why waste it? We all go through it together. Why waste it through fretting and through vexation and through complaining and through resentment, right? All of these things we can be so tempted to. Anger, fighting, striving with, with God. No, no. God wants you to rest in your waiting, and we can do this because with God is abundant redemption and we see that in verse seven, look at it with me, and this is the first main point with God is an, is abundant redemption, and that 's the bedrock that 's the foundation for why we can actually be at peace in uncomfortable times. Verse seven, O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is Loving kindness. There is chesed, loving. God is lovingly kind. Lovingly kind. In Hebrew, chesed. For with the Lord there is chesed, loving kindness. And with him is abundant redemption. That's the bedrock. With God is abundant redemption. Number two, just the three points briefly. Forgiveness is... Readily available. And that's in verse 4. But there is forgiveness with you that you may be feared. Because what has just been said is an awareness, a painful awareness of our ease to sin, our our ease to give into temptation and to fall. And that makes us vulnerable and it makes us weak. But there is a God who loves us and who does forgive, as he says. But it's interesting, isn't it, how he says that you may be feared. <laughs> Sin makes us vulnerable. And, but God forgives us, and we are in his debt. <laughs> and that brings a certain level of respect and reverence and a humbling that he may be feared, that he may be prized and revered. And that's the way it works. And three and last Because of the kind forgiveness of God, we can rest and be fruitful even in incredibly uncomfortable, painful times. Three, because of the kind forgiveness of God, you can rest and be fruitful. So the waiting worshiper is blessed because he's aware of his iniquities. That's a blessed person, (laughs) To be a... What? How could that be blessed? No. A person is blessed if we're aware of our iniquities. God does not bless all people that way. There are people that are not blessed because their their arrogance blinds them. And they cannot see. Their pride blinds them. And they're not aware of their sin. But it's a blessing, though painful, to be aware of. Of one's iniquities. Think of the Beatitudes, right? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the um, you you know the rest of the Beatitudes. Blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and what? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst? Yeah. Blessed are the the weak. Not because weakness in and of itself is a glorious uh, reality. In and of itself. But Blessed are the the vulnerable, blessed are the humble, because all those blessings flow from that. The the word there in Greek is makarios, it's happy, happy, (laughs) happy are those who have been humbled by God because they see and they can actually receive. Think about it, right? If we, if we, I need something to grab. If we grab something and we're clinging on to it, we can't hold anything else in our hands, right? But the empty, suffering brings a an, a painful emptying of, of the heart, right? Can't it should, and it it should lead us to then be able to actually receive from God, right? We can receive if we're not clinging and grasping idols, and that God has to shake us of the idols that calcify around us in our hearts. Um, but suffering allows us to open up so that we can receive grace. So, out of the depths, out of the depths. This is a common illusion in the Psalms. If you read uh, the book of Psalms, you, you, you read it regularly. The psalmists often felt like they were drowning, couldn't breathe. Like breakers on the beach that are merciless and seem to have an angry personality almost in themselves, set against us we know we live close to the to the ocean live close to the beach we'll get these often during a a storm surge you don't have enough time to properly regroup right even if we don't surf and don't know you don't get in the water very much we all know what this feels like emotionally go through things in life and you have these sets that keep hitting right and we're just overwhelmed we don't have enough time to emotionally, psychologically catch up with the pressure, and we can get broken down. Life can feel like that. And in a world that runs by merciless law, dog eat dog, devoid of grace and fueled by nothing but your performance, the worshiper, this worshiper, is aware of his great shortcomings, his very real flaws and he says who can stand who is completely blameless who does not need much forbearance and mercy well the answer of course implicitly is no one no one no one does not not need grace and mercy but with God he says is abundant forgiveness Now, we can only have forgiveness when we confess, okay? Confession, a real acknowledgement and profession of our sinfulness is the precursor to forgiveness. And that is important to even receiving it and appreciating it. And that's why this person is actually in a good place, this psalmist To be humbled is painful, but to be be proud and blind is a curse, not a strength. Psalm 130 is meant to teach us of our need simply and straightly, of our need for God's mercy. And in fact, our only right to enter into God's presence on this day lies in his mercy, right? So the path to appropriating and feeling the redemption of God is in repudiation of one's sin, speaking the truth in our hearts about it, to confession over it, and that leads to genuine hope. Verse 5, I wait for the Lord, my soul does wait, and in his word do I hope. Now, more than watchmen for the morning is what the very next verse says in verse 6. More than watchmen wait for the morning. That might be a little bit um, outside of our experience, perhaps, except for the who have worked third shift, right? <laughs> you ever worked third shift? Anybody ever worked third shift a job? Ooh, that's a special trial. Third shift, the dreaded shift of darkness and of night when all people have supposed to be sleeping, and God has made it that way. This is a reference to temple guardians in particular. Uh, the, the temple always had guardians, had soldiers. The tabernacle had soldiers. Um, the same with the temple. These are temple guardians in the third shift, waiting dawn. Years ago, I worked uh, security for a factory, <clears throat> and not the most glamorous job. I was stationed at a guard post uh, at the gate outside the factory on the edge of the property of the entire place. And so I I worked this shift all night long. And I would get so tired (laughs) having gone to classes when I was in college and school all day long and then staying up all night uh, that I would literally fall asleep while standing up. Literally, I don't know if that's ever happened to you, but it's really not a pleasant experience. Every fiber of your being screaming to lay down. And uh, you couldn't. It had my job to stay awake and guard the place. Um, and I would literally sing. <laughs> I would really literally sing to stay awake. And I would still crane over, um, which was insane. So the Watchman reference reveals that this is a protracted hard, long waiting that's uncomfortable at every moment. And listen, there are seasons in our life, right, where it is that way. It is that way. It can just seem like it will never end. It will seem like year after year. When will there be a breakthrough on this thing? As human beings, uh, as creatures, we all know what this feels like. Some of us, much more than others. Darkness is a good illustration for a very serious waiting on God to do something. This psalmist is waiting for the sunny realm of God's love and favor to feel God again. Sometimes adversity can make us numb. We can't feel, can't feel God in our hearts and our and our emotions. But I want to encourage you. Maybe you're in that season. Maybe you're in that season now. For some of you, maybe it's still yet ahead. Some of you have an extra sense of confidence and armor that God has given you because you've already been through some of those seasons. So you can look back and you can see the goodness and the kindness of God bringing you through those times. It's certainly the case with me as I look back on many crazy rodeos in my life um, so far and this I want to encourage you with this that Jesus is the friend of whom who is Jesus the friend of he's the friend of sinners that's a great hope for us it's a great hope because we've made very aware of our sinfulness in times of great adversity and weakening Jesus is the friend of sinners, have courage. He's an advocate to this kind of a broken person. God is poet you know the verse, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. But the man of self-assured pride is blinded by his false strength, and that is a true threat. One book title sums it up accurately. Ego is the enemy. You might have heard of the book, actually. Ego is the enemy. It's a good book. Written by a Stoic, actually. A modern-day Stoicism piping a lot of the philosophies of Marcus Aurelius, the great Roman philosopher. Um, But God can speak through donkeys. God can speak through pagans. God does speak through... Um, all people at times, and uh, there is much good wisdom in this book. Ego is the enemy to renounce self-sufficiency and self-absorption. That's what suffering pushes us to. It reminds us of the lie of self-sufficiency, the deceit of self-absorption. God has to allow suffering in our lives to purge that which is not like Him in our hearts, it pushes us to love repentance only through the gift of we know of God's Spirit, and this all brings hope. That's the end. That's the purpose. Not to to embrace suffering in and of itself as the as a as a goal in and of itself. That's masochism, and I've read books by masochists as well, and um, it's not that's not Christian. It's not the end. It's not to embrace it for what it is in and of itself, but it's, it's, um, it's what we learn through the path of that suffering. That brings us to hope, right? Hope. Hope is in this passage. Hope, as the New Testament says, does not disappoint, but gives the invigorating reality of assurance. O Israel, look at it, verse 7, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is loving kindness, and with him is abundant redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. So that is the basic progression of Psalm 130 uh, and the wisdom that it has to truly healthy living. And so now for just a deeper application in taking this and working it like kneading dough into our hearts. Waiting is very uncomfortable. We don't like it at all. I think what, in our time, 2023, I think what exacerbates the challenge of waiting is just the comforts of our age, just the prosperity that God has given us, which is abundant. If we get five seconds of a spinning circle on your Mac, or an hourglass with the sinking sand for you PC users. Does Microsoft still have the little hourglass with the sinking sand as you wait for the Okay. <laughs> I remember those days back when I used to, used to use a PC. Um, we're just an instant microwave culture, aren't we? It, it wreaks havoc on our, our faith because of that. These technologies push us around without us even recognizing it. They influence us. Give me what I want now. Google it. Fix my life now, please. We don't have to wait for the... Who of us has to wait for the crop to rise before we eat certain foods? We zip down to the store in our very extremely fast automobiles and then we complain if we get the last pickings of something at the store, if they're out of it. This is not how God does his magic on our soul. No. He's in no hurry. He refines us and ages us more like wine. That's how God works. Ready to be poured out in gladness at the right time. That human nature is Restless and unthankful. And even in the societal forces in our culture, the religion of progressivism is not reformational, but atheistic revolutionism. The impulse to bring change now, immediately, through forceful, impatient, and violent ways. None of this flows from the gospel None of it flows from gospel rest. God's kingdom works very, very differently. And the church can be so influenced by the impulse of the age. I mean, Jesus addressed it with the first century, and they were so brutalized by Rome, right? These people are occupying our land. They're crucifying our people. You can see the crosses on the hill. Uh, that people are being brutalized and are held in a vice grip, right? We could all, f- if we live there, we could all feel the, the frustration. Or uh, Dutch in the late 1930s with Germany occupying their country, right? Um, many societies have have come under and this impulse to respond in a, uh, a revo- revolutionary way to overthrow it and take things under our. We get so fussy. We got to win the next presidential election. All right, Karl Marx, right? Karl Marx said the uh, religion is the opiate of the people, right? I think for Americans, politics is the opiate of the people. The messianic character of American politics is extremely strong. It's not through politics. It's through the gospel. It's through the kingdom of God that God works his magic. And it's a different paradigm than the paradigm of forceful power. The man is always drawn to power, power and control to bring about change. God's power, his control works through death and resurrection. It works very differently. It works like the Beatitudes. That's how the kingdom of God advances. Never forget these things. The church forgets it, and we get into trouble. It's a lesson for all of us Christians in all ages, in all times. Listen to this quote about the cost of not waiting and giving into our lusts. Men fail because they exchange what they want most for what they want now. Let me read it again. Men fail because they exchange what they want most for what they want now. Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve launched us all and the human race entirely into death because they wouldn't wait on God. And they didn't wait because they didn't trust. That's the issue. And, and you, you, you look at history from there, right? And whenever you have a man or a woman of God that's impulsive and that grabs after the forbidden fruit, look at any example, and it goes bad. Right? Abraham and, Abram and Sarah, right? Um, okay, God said we're going to have a son, you know, a, a, a real son, biological son. God told us, and they had to wait so... I mean, we read in Genesis, right? And, like, we forget this, the, the length of time that transpires. And we're like, oh, you know, it's the next page. It's not the next page. It's decades, okay? And you know the story, right? So Sarai, Sarah, Sarah's like, you know, it, it, listen. It, we can make this work here, um, you know, just Hagar, right? And she'll be my son, right? You, you marry Hagar, um, and um, he'll be my son, right? How'd that go, right? Ishmael, Ishmael. That became a, a a long-standing enemy of the Jews for centuries, millennia. After that, it never goes well. It never goes well when men and women act outside of waiting on God, are impulsive, and sin like our first parents, Adam and Eve. They stop trusting and they grab after that which is before the time. Isaiah 64.4 says, For from days of old they have not heard or perceived by ear, nor has the eye seen a God beside you, now listen to this, who acts in behalf of the one who waits for him. Isaiah 64.4, a great promise for those who wait for God. Amen. But we complicate things too much sometimes, don't we? God has us. We try to figure out his plan because we like to be in control. We all like to be in control. Of course we do. But the secret things belong to God, Moses wrote. The things revealed to us belong to us and to our children forever that we might obey him. Deuteronomy twenty nine twenty nine. Job went almost insane trying to figure out what God was doing. His friends went crazy trying to sort out his life, what God was doing. What's the conclusion of all the great insane trials of Job? He, God revealed himself to him. Didn't give him specific answers why he allowed these things to happen. Job just realized how small he was, that he was not God. He's not the boss. He's not in control. He realized how small he was and how good and great and powerful and majestic and wise and infinite God is. And that is what finally brought him to a place of rest and trust. Such an important lesson for us. And so this process, this process of waiting is the pathway to real fruitfulness. Whatever your situation, whatever your circumstance, you and I can be fruitful in effective in the kingdom of God. And that's a great promise. You don't have to live in a certain house, have a certain amount of money, live in a certain amount of area, have this, that, or the other thing. No, no, no. Isn't it freeing? You don't need any of that. You just need real faith. Real faith. Whether you're in Calcutta, whether you are in Haiti whether you're rich or poor, the freeing thing is that all you need is Christ. (laughs) That's it. And you can be in Felton, you can be anywhere. And that's a great, it's not about lineage. It's not about descent. It's not about inheritance. It's not about retirement. It's not about these things that we clamber after and grasp. It's so freeing. All we need is true trust in Christ. And so I ask you, What are you waiting on God for today? Issues with work. Issues with retirement. A health trial. A breakthrough in your marriage. Struggles with your children. Patiently waiting on God through chronic pain. Remember, worry chokes out rest. Others of us are waiting on a fallen body to heal and to strengthen. We have cells in our body that we're worried about, perhaps. We might be waiting for our children to love the Lord Jesus. We're waiting on things that are so hard, but the burden is increased because it's a private burden that few know of. Maybe we're ashamed. In a very low point of my life, After me and my family had been badly mistreated by a church in Washington state, a good friend of mine and a mentor said to me, Ben, those whom God desires to use greatly, he hurts deeply. Not because the Lord delights in inflicting pain, but our God is the God of death and resurrection. We must be willing to be like a seed planted in the darkness of the earth, the darkness of trials, in many deaths, to know life, to know the fellowship, Apostle Paul, right? The motto of his life: to know the fellowship of his sufferings. This, not the fellowship of Six Flags membership, right? Not the fellowship of the country club that is at Pebble Beach, right? <laughs> right? To know the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death and to his resurrection. Is this not the way of Abraham? Is this not the way of Abraham and the testing of Abraham's faith on Mount Moriah? Of David? Of Elizabeth Elliot? One of my great heroes? Of Cory ten Boom? Have you read The Hiding Place The Cory ten Boom? Total, total hero. This is the way. For all those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus. This is why it is a blessing to be under a season of waiting, to need him. One of my favorite biblical counselors was David Powlison. I don't know if you've ever read any of his uh, books. He was a master. He passed away just a few years ago. He was a very gracious and wise man. And he said this, he said, trouble catches our attention because faith has to sink roots as profession deepens into reality. Faith has to dig deep when you're hurting. Like a tree that's not getting enough water. It's got to dig deep to that water underneath the tree. So how much do we want God? How much do we want God? The, the, The authors are endless that speak to wisdom in these things. Martin Luther said trial, in a word, struggle, he said, is the touchstone of Christian experience. Touchstone. He said that hardships were his greatest teacher. (laughs) Martin Luther was great because he knew great hardship. That's why. These trials were his greatest teacher because they made Scripture and prayer come alive. Close quote, he said. And so genuine spiritual growth traffics in trouble because Christ enters into it but what does the scripture say when we experience trouble and hardship we're like surprised we're like i'm supposed to be able to not have to work when i retire <laughs> i'm supposed to be able to you know go to the country club like my friends right and we get we get messed up the american dream messes with our head i should be able to have a house like this you know i should be able to i should be able to vacation and and Get a trailer and spend a couple months with my grandkids, and uh, watch out, watch out. The American dream, huh? It's not the gospel. Mm. Got to be careful. These things enter into our hearts like acetone, soaks into the into the skin, soaks into the bloodstream of our conscience. No, Christ, Christ is in trouble. He traffics in trouble, unafraid by trouble. Paulson said, we learn to love the way Christ loves only by experiencing the hard things that he experienced in loving us, which is great. I love it. And of course, there's so many other things that I could say about suffering and adversity. It turns us to other people. So important. Sometimes we get so self-absorbed that we have to go through testing so that we actually pay attention to the people around us. We actually regard other people. Have empathy. Suffering should pull us towards empathy for others. Self-focus to bearing others' burdens. All of these things. And just uh, briefly, Psalm 131. In many ways, it's just three verses. These two chapters are connected. Um, uh, They're connected because of the themes and how it completes. Psalm 131 completes the, uh, the, the waiting and the rest that Psalm 130 has. So we'll round third base here and just to take a, a real brief look at Psalm 131. It just reveals a heart of submissive rest in the father, like a little child who's nursing with his mother and who's just completely contented, completely at rest. That's, that's the idea, like a weaned child rests against his mother. It's a beautiful, affectionate, intimate um, image here. Submissive rest in Jesus, people of God, brings gospel relief, gospel rest. The gospel should give you relief. If you do not experience relief because of the profound grace of God in the gospel, then you're probably not understanding the gospel because it brings relief from legalism and from pride and from trying to insist on our own way and be justified. No, 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 no. God is the only one who justifies us, vindicates us, makes us righteous. And so a rest-filled disposition is one of the greatest blessings a creature can have. The Psalms are saying, You're not God. These two Psalms. Don't try to figure everything out. We we won't. He is Lord of heaven and earth, and we must hope in him. Look at Psalm 131 with me. O oh Lord, my heart is not proud nor my eyes haughty, nor do I involve myself in great matters or in things too difficult for me. Surely I have composed and quieted my soul like a weaned child rests against his mother. My soul is like a weaned child within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forever. A wise woman told me, Uh, something one Sunday morning many years ago when I was serving in a church in Spokane. She had a brightly colored head wrap on, adorning a beautiful scar. A head with no hair due to chemotherapy. She had a joyful, faith-filled smile. And she said, Ben, God God does his best work on you in the waiting room. The waiting rooms of life. That's where life is found. It's found there. It's found in the place of utter dependence upon God. Boy, after she said that, I think I have to sit down now. (laughs) That's what I had to do. I was just like so heavy because this is a dear woman of God. She was a giant and she had been through so much, but she wasn't bitter. She wasn't nasty. Uh, she wasn't like depressed, um, resentful, and all these things that we can be so tempted in um, it's through God's amazing grace. So who am I? This is a woman who had cancer, went through the many visits to doctors and hospitals and paperwork, got treatment, suffered many months, and was delivered only for cancer to return in the same place some years later. And the whole process began again. But she said, God does his best work on you in the waiting room. She had a choice, right? She had a choice. We always have a choice. Never, never stop believing that. We have a choice of what to do and how to respond. We're not a victim. We're not, we can't be passive. We always have a choice. It's a lie from the pit of hell that deludes us away from that truth. And she, in that choice, tenaciously clung to the habits of faith and joy. People of God, in conclusion, the Lord favors those who fear him. The Bible says, those who wait for his loving kindness. I don't know the painful places you're waiting on God right now. I'm just getting to know you and your church. But I'll tell you who does know. And hear the Father's word to you today. From the prophet Isaiah. The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, does not become weary or tired. His understanding is inscrutable. And those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength they will mount up with wings like eagles one day we will all soar come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest and it is good In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, I know, we know, that in our waiting, you want us to rest and to trust. And what's more, you teach us that we can flourish, Lord, in that very place. Not feeling sorry for ourselves, Lord, deliver us from that, playing the victim, complaining, but to keep moving, to enjoy you, to enjoy life and your gifts and serve others in the process. In you, we have life and life abundantly. And Father, in Jesus, your Son, our Savior, you give your best to us, your very self, a broken body, shed blood all in love and so with victory and joy in Jesus name we pray amen, amen. now we're going to respond uh,